Hey guys, and welcome to another episode. Well, actually, a very special episode of Girl Boss Radio. I am Sophia Amoruso, the founder and executive chairman of Nasty Gal, and the author of the New York Times best-selling book Girl Boss and the soon-to-be-released book Nasty Galaxy. To stay in touch with Girl Boss, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Girl Boss and Facebook at Girl Boss Inc. You can sign up for our newsletter, Girl Boss Diary, which we send out weekly by going to girlboss.com, and you can follow me at Sophia Amoruso on Snapchat, Instagram, and Twitter. I mentioned in a riff a couple months back that we're teaming up with Prudential on their 401k race for retirement. If you guys don't know, and we all should know, Prudential solves investment, insurance, and retirement challenges, helping individuals, organizations, and communities reach their goals. You guys know I think it's so important for us to not only save for retirement, but to save right now, even if you plan to never retire. This is going to be a really important conversation that I'm excited to have with you. So we're helping to spread the word with a special edition of Girl Boss Radio in partnership with Prudential. Prudential is having something that I'm really excited about. It's called the 401k race for retirement. So it's 4.01 kilometers, which is like, I think, maybe around two miles. You don't have to run. You can walk. uh, You can just roll on your side, you know, like a child. It's on September 17th at the Rose Bowl in L.A., which is our backyard. And we all know the Rose Bowl because they have the best flea market in the world um, every, I don't know, a couple Sundays a month. And it's a great place to get vintage. If you want to be a part of the 401k race and you want to commit to saving for your future, I'll be there. I hope you could join me on September 17th. Um, you can sign up for the race at run401k.com. I think a lot of us develop our financial patterns from our parents. We either want to follow them or we want to be completely different from the way they saved or didn't save money. Some families talk about money at the dinner table, while for others, it's a completely taboo subject. And right now, we're seeing a lot of our parents really struggling to retire, or they just don't want to retire. They don't like the word. (laughs) In Girl Boss, I talk a bit about my parents watching them go through bankruptcy and my dad's mantra that cash is king. So I thought it would be a good idea to talk to none other than my mother, Dina, for some personal advice from a 64-year-old who hates the word retirement. Mom. Hey. Thanks for being here. (laughs) This is fun. This is pretty exciting. I know. Yeah. I just like got myself all riled up introducing you. (laughs) So I just want to start at the beginning, which is where we start every podcast. And, you know, I wasn't around and... Um, I might have contributed to some of some of these dreams disappearing far into the distance when I was born. But, my, you know, I really just when you were my age, when you were young, what were your dreams for your future? My dreams were based on a lot of adventure in my mind. I had a father that was a traveler and loved travel and thought that education should be defined by travel. So I got to go to Europe for school for a year and to Paris for a summer because I changed my major to French. I was very fortunate in that way. And when I graduated from college, I could not wait to get back to San Francisco. I was living in the Midwest at the time. And I didn't care what job I got as long as I was back in my beloved city of my birth. Mm -hmm. And I took a job as an accounts payable clerk in a mortgage company for $550 a month. Wow. I found a room to rent through an old Greek lady, and that's my background, Uh for $80 a month. And I was set, and my dad handed me $40 in cash, 
and a black and white TV set on rollers. You know what's amazing is that the rent I paid a month for my first place in 2002 is cheaper than what you paid. I paid 60 bucks a month for a closet. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That, that like, I'm pretty proud of. Yeah, but I saw that closet. We, we still I have evolved the species. I still feel like we've made progress, okay? <laughs> All <agree>? right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there's so much. I mean, when we're young, it's kind of like, I don't know what I want, but I want everything, and I want it now. And you learn that time is an important thing and um, that you don't get everything at once. And um, I want to get into that because that's something that has repercussions eventually right, mm-hmm. in our lives. So what was your relationship with money? I mean, my parents were actually really good with money. They were on the same page, and that's not the case with a lot of sets of parents. My mother balanced the checkbook to the penny. If any of you in my generation remember, there were nights where your parents might have sat up till 10 o'clock just looking for 25 cents that they were off in their checkbook. Wow. And they taught my brothers and I how to balance a checkbook, which was quite a procedure in those days. We didn't use computers. Few of us had calculators that we used. So we just did the arithmetic, you know, mm-hmm. on paper. Mm-hmm. And it taught you how not to spend more than what you've got in your checking account. Credit cards weren't even brought up in those days. Credit mm-hmm. cards were only for emergencies. And stores had credit cards and you used those for maybe buying a dress once in a while. But Usually not. Usually it was just if something of major importance came up and you didn't have the cash for it, but you knew your next paycheck might cover it, then you'd put it on a credit card and then pay it off. It wasn't just like free money that followed not you for the all. rest of your life? <laughs> not at all, no. It's my generation, it's the baby boom generation that started to corrupt that whole scenario. I think the immediate fulfillment of a wish is why you use it you slap it out and you buy something. In your book, you referred to a bra that you bought at Victoria's Secret, I think it was. Oh, yeah. I and thought it was that, like a discount card, but it was like a credit It was a account. credit card, and you didn't even realize you'd applied for credit. And then that bill followed you, and it wrecked your, your credit mm-hmm. score. It, it didn't follow me. It got sent to like an old address, and then it wrecked my go. credit score. Yeah. Yeah. But I, what I think you need to think of is when you see a pair of jeans, a $100 pair of Citizens for Humanity jeans or something uh-huh. like that on, on sale. On Nasty Gal. On Nasty Gal, wherever it is. Uh-huh. Now, let's say it's even uh, it's even oh. in final sale, $50 okay. All right, we something. do have sales, but you can also shop full price. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you see those jeans and you put it on a credit card and you're thinking, oh, my God, I got such a deal here. Mm-hmm. You know, then you realize that you're paying off your credit card with minimum payments every month. Mm-hmm. Those jeans become $200 by the time you pay them off, mm-hmm. which means that you've completely shot yourself in the foot for buying them on sale. If you think of everything you put on a credit card, if you don't pay it off every month, that's it's costing those, way more. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And in the same right, you know, when did you get your first retirement account? Um, I had a... A bit of savings in a retirement account when I first started working for an airline. I worked for an airline called Pacific Southwest Airlines. Any of you in my generation in California would remember that PSA. We had the planes with the smiles on them. It's pretty cute. And I worked at San Francisco Airport. I never wanted to be a flight attendant, just wanted to work on the ground and have the flight benefits. And I did have a little retirement account. It was before 401ks became words, but I did have a, a little nest egg there. Mm -hmm. And I lasted with the airlines, I think it was about seven years. And then I had become a manager by then for a very small airline. And that's when I got pregnant with you. Wow. And so what was that like? I mean, 
How did having a child change your finances for, for you and for my dad? And was it expected that he was the one who saved and provided? Like, how did you guys deal with that? It was an interesting dynamic. Um, when you get married, you sometimes don't sit down and talk with finances about the love with the love of your life. You don't mm-hmm. know if you're on the same page. You don't know if you've had the same lessons from your parents, the same experiences. And it, it turns out that your dad and I were very different in that respect. Mm-hmm. Um, we had agreed that when you were born, I would take a couple years off, two years, until you were old enough to be in preschool. You regret doing that? No, I don't regret it all. I went a little nuts, but uh-huh. I don't rem- I don't regret the time I spent with you. Two years together. But it did put a lot of pressure on your dad. We would go nuts. Yeah. <laughs> it's like two days. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a, a lot of time. And we were and we were living in San Diego where I didn't you were born there. I mm-hmm. I didn't know anyone. So my Aww. parents were 900 miles away in Northern California and mm-hmm. you know, there you were Pooping. with me and my mom would come and visit. <laughs> I stuck you in front of the TV set a lot watching the, the new Disney channel. No wonder days. I'm so brain dead. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, but it did put a lot of pressure on your dad, and your dad was always on commission. So from month to month, it was hard for me to know exactly how much money we had coming in, and I would balance every little bill we had to pay. And sometimes I did not do that very successfully. But I would say if I were to point to a mistake that we made together is that we did not sit down and go over the bills together. Mm-hmm. I was always solely responsible for that. And that that eventually erodes it erodes a, a type of element of your marriage that's really, really important. I agree. Did you guys ever sit down and say, like, this is where we want to be in 10 years and this is why we're going to save and we are saving? Were there any conversations like that? Or did you just guys somehow survive 20 years together? We just somehow survived. <laughs> I think yeah, that's probably I, the, really The common. question in my mind was retirement and college for you. And your uh-huh. dad just said, I'll earn more commissions next month and it won't be a problem. Yeah, he's a survivor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I remember when things got hard, which I talked about in the book, that word bankruptcy came up, mm-hmm. and um, I remember being in a creditor's office watching you guys cut up your credit cards and put them in like a fishbowl full of other people's credit cards yeah, and bad that was decisions. Yeah, gut-wrenching. Yeah. I mean, I was in the room. Yeah. Which is kind of crazy. I don't – I guess you couldn't afford a babysitter. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no. It's like a crazy memory to have yeah. to be there. There was, there was a time during our marriage where the hits just kept on coming. We had – we had lost my mom. We had mm-hmm. lost jobs. We had a mortgage that was adjusting. It was just everything hit at once. It was like the, the whole world conspired against us financially. So, so we had we had declared bankruptcy, and they call it a Chapter 20 when you, you declare a 7 and then a 13. Mm-hmm. That's why they call it because it oh, adds they up added to a up. 20. Yeah. Wow. It's just a little a little word that's used like that. And so you had two, and ba- so two when bankruptcies you, is what you're yes, saying. Yes, yes. So shit. the second one was a reorganization. So when we were cutting up the credit cards, we had to promise that we were going to repay the debt. And we actually did. We ended up completing our bargain wow. and paying it back. So, so what's the benefit? Then our credit saying? started to, you know, get better. Yeah. They didn't have credit scores in those days. You just had credit reports. Okay. And we were waiting for that to happen. There were no debit cards yet either. So How did you improve your credit after that? You, first of all, you couldn't get credit cards. <laughs> How long did you go without credit cards after? That? Um, 
probably a couple years, and then the debit card came into being. Uh-huh. The debit card that had a Visa logo on it yeah. or a MasterCard logo. So it just logo. made it easier to spend it made money. It, easier, it made it easier for you to pretend that you had credit, but it actually uh-huh. just came out of a checking account. Totally. But once we were able to get real credit cards again, it doesn't mean that we had great habits. Mm-hmm. And so what would you say the habits were that you wish had been different? I wish we had decided together on how much to save every month, on how much we wanted in 10 years for our, our, our savings to look like, on how much we could contribute towards you going to college, on how much we thought about retirement. And we just lived pretty much hand to mouth and it was not a great way to go. Mm-hmm. I'm fortunate that I landed on my feet and life handed me good things and now I'm remarried and everything's you know, you married uh, someone who did plan for retirement. I married That's what a you did. <laughs> plotter. I married a plotter and a planner this uh-huh. time. And he's, I mean, he has a budget for himself every day that he doesn't even tell me yeah. about. Do you think couples should have combined finances? You know, I think it's important to keep independence from each other, but to know what the other one is doing. Um, I think transparency is really important in a couple. And that's not just for finances. It's for how you raise children. It's for how you look at life. I think you have to, you have to have that partnership going. Um, I think you need to have your own independent money and mad money and savings and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I remember my mother used to, save money from a little mu- bit of money that my father would give her for planning piano tunings. Remember when my dad tuned uh-huh. pianos? She would like be an admin for him? Yeah, he had sold his business. He had a piano store back in Indiana. Then he sold his business and he semi-retired in his mid-50s, wow. which was really young. Yeah, to, But he had planned all this. Cool. And when he got to San Francisco, they bought a house in Marin that of course, they thought it was so expensive, but it was like, I don't know. 60 grand. Less than $100,000. I was told it was like 60. It was 80-something. Okay. And of course, it's worth a lot of money now, but this was in the mid-70s. And so my mother and father were just appalled at how much the mortgage was going to cost. So my dad went into piano tuning. My mother would set up his appointments, and then he'd pay her so much, like $5 a tuning. Uh-huh. I don't know what it was, ridiculous amount. Yeah. And my mother would squirrel it away. And when my dad wanted to go someplace, she said, look, I have money to contribute. It was the cutest thing in the world. That's so cute. But she also had her own secret, like, little fund, didn't she? She did. She started a job as a teacher's aide, and she'd never worked outside the home before. So this was in her 50s and 60s. Yeah, she had her own little manicure. And my father, yeah, that, that generation, the fathers usually had control of the money. So he kind of resented her at first, but she had her own checking account. And you know why she loved having her own checking account? Mm. So she could buy things for her only grandchild. Oh, and she did. A lot of self-help books called things like Liking Myself Mm -hmm. and then like little ones like Odd Jobs for Kids. And here's like some clip art that you can like go get a job, you know, walking someone's dog. You were always motivated by a little amounts of money you could earn. That's weird. You used to work the Greek festivals and wondered why you couldn't keep the tips. I know. I was like, excuse me, I'm a child. Um, I get, I'm cute enough, right? No, didn't work that way. Okay. For those of us who don't know what retirement is, and I know you're allergic to that word, just how would you describe retirement in its classic sense? I mean, I know your husband is like an extreme example of that, but for the rest of us, just in general in America, what's retirement, mom? Retirement to me is almost like a a phase of life where you can kind of 
take a few steps back and enjoy more of life than you did mm-hmm. when you had a nine to five job or Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a time where if you want to and you've earned it, social security kicks in, Medicare kicks in when you're 65. So it seems like a time you shouldn't have to work as hard mm-hmm. and you have, you know, a little guaranteed income, but it's certainly not enough. Mm-hmm. How many people do you know that planned well? Do you know very many? You know, most of the baby boomers, most people my age just don't, they may retire from a job, but they go into something else. Interesting. I don't think that my generation loves the word. I think that we're younger feeling and younger acting at 65 than my parents' generation For sure. were. You don't have a perm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think. And we, you wear like four inch pumps every week. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I got that from my mom. But yeah, I, I think that we just aren't, we're not ready, we're not ready to pack it in in our 60s anymore. Are you ever going to retire? I don't think so because I write for a living, you know? Yeah. Writing is something I can do in my 90s. Yeah. And, and reflecting on life is really good for your brain too. I mean, you've written memoirs for me. I know. I know. I think I'm on page 102 now. She's written like her life story down. It's so cool. I'm, <laughs> I'm so, I'm so lucky. Um, so do, do you have a 401k? My husband does. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Did you? Um, I was not good. I'm, I'm a prime example of what you shouldn't do. Uh-huh. Um, so I So mean, what I, didn't you do? Tell me all the things that you didn't do for the, for the young listeners planning their futures. What do you regret? Uh, I think my biggest regret is not having that stash of money that I didn't touch that was there for the rainy day. I had it from time to time. And then my life changed. I mean, your life does go through phases. I, I think that there's like three distinct phases. This is how I look at zero to 30, you know, childhood up to age 30 seems to take forever. Just like summer used to take forever when you were out of school. Uh-huh. It's not like that from 30 to 60. It just flies. Jeez. And those are the years that you probably do get married, have a family, and then you look towards retirement. Kids get out of high school, they go to college, now you're empty nesters again. So then there's 60 to 90. And with women, it's altogether possible we're going to live past 90. Uh-huh. We're getting older and older. And we're president. Absolutely. Well, we're almost president. So we don't see an end. <laughs> we don't see an end in mind. And we don't, I mean, I don't want to think of those years as anything any less than zero to oh, 30. Yeah. You know, I want them to be just as meaningful. Yeah, Yeah. just as meaningful as those formative years. I've got a lot to do before I turn 90. From my perspective, you're a thousand times happier than you were in your 30s. And you look better. And you (laughs) wear, you know. You're sweet, sweetie. Um, I think that you learn so much during that second period, that mm-hmm. 60, 30 to 60, 30 to 60 yeah, I would imagine. that you learn what you want in life, you know how you want to live, you know what conflict you want to avoid. Mm-hmm. And so whether you're with that same person that you married at the beginning or whether your life changes, which is very common to mm-hmm. marry a second time, you know what you want in that next life mm-hmm. and you plan for it. I wish I had planned for it a little better. Yeah, absolutely. So who do you think did it right? Like, who do you think has retired right? I would say my husband, George. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, like I said, he's a plotter and a planner. 
all those years he took advantage of everything he could as a firefighter in the great city of San Francisco. <laughs> this is like um, a PSA for San Francisco. Yes, yeah, yeah. He was he was very structured in his approach to money um, and gave himself allowances, but also mad money and also savings. What's mad money? You know, when you don't know what you're going to, the next day that you're going to go uh-huh. blow money on something, you go buy oh. it. And he could still justify it because he felt confident in the other amounts of money totally. he'd put away. And I think that's the way everyone should approach retirement. So he is, has a pension. Does he have investment savings accounts? Like- he did it at, at one time until those got kind of risky. But he, um, now that he's retired, he, you know, he had it all of the things cashed out and he's uh, used a lot of it on the home. Yeah. Um, can't wait in. to see her backyard. Yeah. You she just redid her yeah. backyard. She like developed a green thumb. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm really good with succulents now. Well, <laughs> I think everybody it's is. It's really hard to kill them. <laughs> I know. That's so cute. So what advice, like what specific advice would you have for your younger self or for the girl who's who's listening here? I would say that especially, and I remember the feeling that when you're in your 20s and 30s, you just don't think about getting older. You don't think it's going to happen quickly. You don't think that you're going to have to plan for it. Mm-hmm. Everything is immediate. It's everything you're doing now. And what am I doing this week and next week and maybe next month? Mm-hmm. But I don't think a lot of millennials look past that. Mm-hmm. I don't think they think about what's it going to be like when I'm in middle age? Mm-hmm. What have I done? And I think a good a good thing to think about is how do I want to look back on that period? Mm-hmm. What do you want to see? Mm-hmm. Do you want to see a person who actually paid attention mm-hmm. to the future, or do you want to see someone who just blew every paycheck they got? You want to be sitting on a pile of what you've built, yes, financially or you know artistically, or you want to feel like you've made a legacy for yourself, whether it's yeah. And I and I think that's hard. That's hard for the younger brain to fathom. The younger brain. The younger brain to say, I want to look back with pride at this period in my life. So what do I need to do now in order to have that feeling at age 40? Totally. Totally. I mean, that's kind of the only reason I wrote a book. <laughs> it gets to sit on a shelf and everything else lives on the internet. But um, do you think this is it's extra hard for freelancers to save? I mean, how has that been for you? Because you've been working freelance, gosh, since I was in high school. I've been working, yeah, I've been working writing freelance since high school, but I was also on commission before that. Uh-huh. There was only one job that I had, which was when I was a, a sales trainer for a large real estate company that mm-hmm. I had a salary. Um, and that lasted about three years. Other than that, I've had all commission or I have gone and gotten my own business. So yeah. when I say I work freelance for writing, that means that people come to me and they want me to do their website content. But or there's peaks and valleys like that. in that kind of work. How do you handle your, it's, your finances? It's difficult. It's difficult. Um, through all of the jobs that you get, and I was starting to say that that it's not considered shameful now to have what they call an eclectic resume, where you've got, <laughs> you know, 15 different jobs between age 25 and 40. It's very common. Mm-hmm. In my parents' generation, that was almost unheard of. Mm-hmm. In my generation, a lot of people did not do that. And they, like, for instance, George, like my husband, 24 years as a firefighter, mm-hmm. um, he always had his savings. Pretty rare. Yeah, well, there's still a lot of people who do public service jobs and jobs they stay with forever. They work for Intel or Hewlett Packard or whatever it is. They stay and they retire with that company. For those of us who get bored, 
Mm-hmm. Or is that where I get it? Uh, could be. <laughs> um, creative types, people who get bored, people who want to start their own businesses. I think it's hard to pay attention to saving when all you're trying to do is survive. Yeah. But if you can save, for instance, in your book, you talk about how you didn't pay attention to how much money was coming in when your business started to be successful. You wore the same grungy clothes. You bought the same mm-hmm. chai latte from mm-hmm. every day. You, you sat in the yeah. sad bunny outfit. Uh-huh. Um, but you didn't think about how that's money you could go out and spend and have fun with. You just thought about building up your business. Mm-hmm. But it also could have been money that you relied on if you'd gotten sick. I think that, I mean, I believe now more in having some quality of life, but only because I worked so hard. You know, it's like if you're really going to, eat what you kill, you got to go kill 24 hours a day before you can just like sit around and have a feast. Well, and I must say, I never saw you throw yourself into anything until you started to do your eBay thing. Yeah. yeah. I, you had those grunge, I bopped around. those grunge years that I would rather forget. They weren't grunge. They were <laughs> crust punk, but that's okay. Um, but when you started your business and we went to Target and we bought racks and plastic bins shampoo and, and, and shampoo and <laughs> all kinds of things. <laughs> And you started your little business and we watched the bids go up on, yeah. on eBay. It was an exciting time. Yeah. And I just, I mean, I spent maybe two minutes with you in that, yeah. in that whole rise to where you are, but it was something I'll never forget. I feel really lucky, I think, to have grown up in Sacramento because nobody bought me like Chanel flats for my 16th birthday or, you know, there's like people who do grow up with that. And I can imagine that having that kind of taste level early on in life is, really tough to keep up. I was just like, oh, a Rubbermaid bin from Target? This looks so, this is so official. Is oh, drawer? Sophia. Okay, let, let's get real here. I okay. used to take you to Abercrombie and you would not buy, you would not buy things there because you felt they were too expensive for your needs. And really? Yes. Okay. We'd walk home with nothing. Well, because it wasn't that great. Yeah. Well, in your eyes, it wasn't. I knew the value of a dollar. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Okay, mom, this has been really fun. Thank you so much. <laughs> This has been fun. I'm glad you you got to come visit. What a good excuse. Thank you, everyone, for listening to us. I hope this was interesting. All right, you guys, that was another episode, a very special episode of Girl Boss Radio, brought to you in partnership with Prudential. Prudential's 401k race for retirement is on September 17th. I'm going to be there. Join me. And we're going to commit to saving. And I want to see a lot of girls there. Uh, It's in Pasadena at the Rose Bowl. You can register for the race at run401k.com. Our producer is Shara Morris. Thanks also to Emily Rubin, Kristen Meinzer, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers at Panoply. And thank you also to the band Phases for our theme song and to Same Animal for our interstitial jam. And remember, Prudential's 401k Race for Retirement is on September 17th at the Rose Bowl in Los Angeles. Join me there. You can register at run401k.com. I'm Sophia Amoruso. See you next week.